0: We do want to say hello to everybody that's out in the parking lot or in the chapel or the pavilion as well as those that are inside and if you're tuning in with us later in the week online, know that we are glad that you are joining us at Libby Christian Church as well. We're just thrilled that everybody is here in whatever capacity you are. So I've got a pretty good joke for you this morning, and then Deni's going to come and lead us in a time of prayer. When I say it's a pretty good joke, you're, you're going to want to listen close, because you'll want to share this later in the day. You may be at coffee this week, and you'll say, you know what? I heard a good joke on Sunday, and you'll want to share it. That's how good it is. Here it is. Local hunting guide got his party hopelessly lost in the mountains, and they were pretty upset. You told us you were the best guide in Colorado. I am, he said, but I think we're in Wyoming now. Oh, come on! It was a lot better than that. You should have been back in the room when we chose that one. Hey, let's pray together. Deanie is going to lead us in a time of prayer for our church this morning, and I just pray that you will join together with him and put your amen at the end of it. Let's do that.
1: In Phil's defense, when he asked me to pray, I said, no, I don't have to say the joke was good, do I? (sighs) He said no. So Man. Uh, Man. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you for being here today. And uh, this today, as you will find out here a little bit later, is kind of a, a different type of day for us with our our the things that we're doing today. So uh, let's just ask God that as a church family that He'll protect us and and as a church family and guide us through the times that we have ahead. So. That's what we're going to be praying about this morning. So uh, pray along with me so it's not just me. God is hearing from all of us, okay? So mm-hmm. let's pray. Father, uh, we are just happy that we get to be here in your church. And, and uh, God, for the things that you do through the church family for all of us, God. And uh, also we know that there's times when there's things that uh, we need to deal with in our church family and and together, Lord, that we can work through that. You've done that uh, over the years so well uh, with us. So we're asking for your guidance today and uh, protection as a church body. And thank you for each person that is here that makes up uh, our church and and the family that it is, God. And thank you that you are in charge and that you love us and you take care of us in all things. And we live fill up this morning through the message time that he has, and thank you that we can look at your word and that it just stands forever and it gives us guidance through all things. So we ask this in the precious name of your son Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you very
0: much, Deanie. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, and I hope you did, join me in the book of Philippians. We started a study of this short little book at the beginning of the summer, and I'll be honest with you, I thought we were going to be done by now. We're not. And the reason we're not is there is so much great teaching contained in this tiny little book that every time I open it up, I find something else I want us to to spend some time in. This morning, we're going to be looking at a portion of the book of Philippians that is easy to skip right over. And it is tragic if we do that. I really do mean it is tragic. There is a depth of teaching in this that once we start peeling away the layers of the onion can touch every one of us right where we live. Join me in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him to you as, just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, the reason I say it would be easy to skip over this section of the book of Philippians is there's names of two men that seem very personal to Paul, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Not only do they seem very personal to him, it seems very personal to this church And as a result of that, our temptation is to skip over this like a rock across water. But my word, we will miss out on so much if we do that. Old preacher and philosopher named G.K. Chesterton seems to sum up this passage very well with a quote like this. The only two things that can satisfy the soul are a person and a story. Even the story must be about a person. That's pretty good. It really does get right to the heart of every one of us. The only two things that can satisfy the soul are a person and a story. And even the story must be about a person. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is unpacking for us. It's a story of the influence of Timothy and Epaphroditus in his life and in the life of the church. But he's also talking about the persons, the people, Not only their influence, but their relationship. And it's a deep one. It really is. So let's just get into it this morning. On the History Channel, there is a popular show still airing right now called Alone. Very simply, that's the title of it, Alone. How many of you have watched that? Tina and I did not see it on the History Channel. We found it on Hulu. So we were able to go back and watch some of the past seasons. And we kind of got caught up in it about a year ago. The whole premise of it was intriguing to us. We were curious about it. It's only 10 episodes long each season, so it was easy to watch. We started getting our kids into it, so we're texting back and forth as we're watching this. All the way down to Texas and into eastern Montana, our whole family is watching. It. Now, if you're not familiar with the show alone, let me show you the description of it from the History Channel's website. And this is a description of their most current season. Take a look. Equipped with just 10 items and a camera kit, each participant must survive in total isolation with the hopes of lasting the longest and winning the $500,000 prize. Not only must they endure hunger, loneliness, and the elements, But this season, they also face the deadliest predator in North America, the grizzly bear. No camera crews, no gimmicks. It is the ultimate test of human will. Now, having watched a couple of seasons of this show, I am convinced that when they say it is the ultimate test of human will, they're not talking about the grizzly bear at all. They're talking about the isolation, the aloneness. They're not kidding when they say that these folks are out there with just the camera equipment. There's nobody following them around. They film themselves. When they leave to go on the show, they are prepared to be alone, isolated in whatever location they're going to for up to a year, having left their family, having left their jobs, having left everything behind alone for up to a year. There is not a chance in the world I could pull that off. They're allowed to take some personal items with them. I always tell Tina, if she could be my personal item, then I think I could do okay. But I don't think they allow that. At least we haven't seen it on the show yet. The whole idea, the whole premise behind the show is quite intriguing. Because early on in the history of mankind, God would declare in Genesis chapter 2 that it's not good for man to be alone. That's a declaration from God. It is a truth. It is a biblical, excuse me, a biblical truth. It's not good for man to be alone. And after God made that declaration in the book of Genesis, Eve was created and Adam had a partner for life. Then as we make our way on through scripture, we see partnerships just like that one as well as others. Let's just skip through some of them real quick. We'll look at some of the partnerships that exist in Scripture. So we start with Adam and Eve, and then of course we're going to find Abraham and Sarah. We'll find Noah and his entire family, his wife and his children, and the eight people that were on the ark, so that no one was alone. We'll get into Jacob's story and we'll see his relationship with his brother and then also with his wives. We'll get into the history of the children of Jacob and we'll see how they relate one to the other. The relationship always rising to the top. That's the story and it involves people. By the time we get to the book of Exodus, there's Moses and Aaron. Always mentioned together. Joshua and Caleb, often mentioned together. By the time we get out of that particular history within the church, we may study David and Jonathan's relationship and we'll see a friendship that seems to be bound for all eternity. We can continue on through the Old Testament looking at a lot of different relationships like that, all the way to the New, where we find Jesus with 12 disciples' relationships. Of those 12, there were three that were very close to him, Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers. Peter made his way into that relationship, and they were a part of of Jesus' inner circle. The Apostle Paul had folks like Barnabas and Silas, and of course, the two we just read about, Timothy and Epaphroditus. On and on and on it goes. Relationships matter. Relationships, friendships matter. Because it's not good for man to be alone. God made that declaration. God made that declaration. Yet interestingly enough, I was awake very early this morning and just happened to be glancing through Fox News. and They had a headline that read just like this. American men experience friendship recession. Now listen to the article. American men are having a hard time making friends. According to the Survey Center on American Life, men in the U.S. are experiencing a friendship recession. This week, the center published an analysis of its May 2021 American Perspective Survey, which found that all Americans are suffering from a shortage of friendships, with men faring worst. Only about 27% of men have at least six close friends, down from 55% in 1990. According to the report, Meanwhile, the number of men without any close friends increased from 3% to 15%. Single men are especially affected by the friendship recession. According to the survey, 20% of men who are not in a romantic relationship reported not having any close friends. The survey also found that even when a man reported having one or two close friends, those friendships didn't prevent him from experiencing isolation and loneliness. Further, men are also reportedly less emotionally connected to their friends than women, according to the analysis. The report suggested that traditional norms of masculinity make it harder for some men to be vulnerable and open with friends. Women, by contrast, are more likely to put in the work to cultivate and maintain friendships. According to the center, the friendship recession trend is rooted in, listen to this, listen close, this is foxnews.com at about 4 a.m. this morning. According to the Center, the friendship recession trend is rooted in lower religious involvement, lower marriage rates, and greater geographic mobility. The workplace could also have an effect on friendships as Americans work longer hours, switch jobs more often, and increasingly avoid coming to work at all, the report said. How intriguing. As people are severing religious ties, friendships, one of the base needs in all of our lives, are starting to diminish, if not disappear, even though God said it's not good for man to be alone. Now, if that's true in our earthly relationships, how much more so in our relationship with God? It is not good for us to be apart from Him. So God has always, from the beginning of time, done the heavy lifting, the hard work to make sure that there would be a connected relationship between us and Him. In the Garden of Eden, He walked in the cool of the morning with Adam and Eve. Then sin came, and that type of connection was a lot more difficult. But God didn't give up on it. Listen to what He says to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He starts out with Moses by saying, but I will be with you. And he wasn't kidding. That type of connection leads to a bold confidence in the life of the person that has that connection with God. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 reads like this, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua was able to boldly move into the promised land and lead all of the Hebrew people right behind him because of the presence of God. That type of connection is necessary. Then we go to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 3, and we get to find this wonderful promise. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That promise is available to us because of Jesus. So we can have close fellowship, close connection with him. Again, leading to a bold confidence. This is one of the most often quoted verses in all of the Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, as you go back to the King James Version and you move forward in history through translations, you will find out that most of the translations honor that verse with almost those exact same words. But there are some modern translations that give a depth of understanding to it that's just a little bit different, just a little bit deeper. Take a look at these two. The message reads, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? Or the New Century version, so what should we say about this? If God is with us, no one can defeat us. That's our connection with God. That's what He wants for us. Now, he wants us to have that connection with him, but he wants that connection to carry over to our earthly relationships. He wants our connection with him, listen to this, to carry over to our earthly relationships. In fact, that very thing would be taught by the Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians. Chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Don't be unequally yoked, Paul says. And that command carries over to marriage, to business relationships, to the closest friendships that we will ever have in life. Don't be unequally yoked. You make sure that Jesus sits in the center of them, and your friendships will last for eternity. Leading on to the same type of boldness that we've already talked about. That boldness carries us through life. And it is supposed to be that way. That's what the apostle is talking about in Philippians chapter 2 in the passage that we just read. He is equally yoked not only with these two men that he talks about but with the church that he is writing to. And that yoke binds them together. So let's go back to Philippians 2 and take a look at these two relationships. Watch how Paul describes them. Pay very close attention to the adjectives that he would use to describe both Timothy and Epaphroditus. In fact, before we do that, let's just gain a little bit of perspective. I went to a a website called vocabulary.com this past week while I was preparing for the message. And my simple question of vocabulary.com is how do we describe friends? What are some of the words that we use? They had a list that's quite intriguing. Let's just go through it. We'll do it really fast. I don't want us to spend too much time on this. We'll go through it fast. Adaptable, adventurous, affectionate. Ambitious, amiable, compassionate, considerate, courageous, courteous, diligent, empathetic, exuberant, frank, generous, gregarious, impartial, intuitive, inventive. Now that's an interesting list of adjectives to describe friendships. Paul doesn't use any of those. I want you to see how he describes these two men. So we're back in Philippians chapter 2. We'll start with Timothy. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him. There is no one in Paul's life like Timothy who who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. There is a partnership between Paul and Timothy and the church in Philippi. They are together. They see things the same way. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. That's that's what Paul says about him. Timothy has a proven worth. It has been tested and it has been tried. Paul says, I know it and so do you. You know his proven worth. How as a son with a father. That's a descriptor of the relationship. Paul sees Timothy as his son in the faith. As a son with his father. He has served me in the gospel. He's a minister to Paul. Not just with him, but a minister to him. That's Timothy. Man, that's that's pretty good. What a descriptor. What a way of capturing the relationship. It is as if their souls are knit together and have been from the very beginning. Because I want to remind you that Timothy is the personal recipient of the two letters of Paul with his name on them. And Timothy was the recipient of the last known letter of the Apostle Paul. The last known letter went to this young man. They're close. Their souls are knit Together, ministry binds them. Jesus binds them. They are equally yoked. Now, Timothy is a a lot more popular person in New Testament teaching, so we hear his name all the time. But one of the reasons that we would skip over this passage is this second man, Epaphroditus. We don't hear a lot about him. We don't know his name as familiarly, there's a word for you, I'm not having a stroke, I'm just trying to get that out. We don't hear his name nearly as often as we do Timothy's name. So again, like a rock across water, we would skip right over the top of this passage, but don't do that. Listen to how Paul describes Epaphroditus. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Five descriptors of this man. Paphroditus, by all accounts, was very young. He grew up at the church in Philippi. He went to Paul when Paul was imprisoned in Rome to take care of his needs. We would find out in chapter 4, verse 18, that he also carried with him an offering that would go to the church in Jerusalem. This is Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. I received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Epaphroditus was taking care of his needs, but also the needs of the greater church. And Paul would break down his relationship with him very, very well. Epaphroditus' relationship with Paul is one that appears to have been forged out of common interest and common ministry. Different than Timothy's where their souls were knit together very quickly and, and things came not in a forced relationship. They were just joyful. You have Epaphroditus who it appears was a forging of a relationship. But as strong as Timothy's, just look at the descriptor. And both of them were young. Paul would write to Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth. But Nick said an example for the believers in speech and life in love and in purity, he says. So even though they were young, they had great influence in his life. He valued them. And he wanted other people to do the same. I want you to pay close attention to how Paul tells the church to treat them. Verse 20. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and to honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul says, You honor these guys because I do. Because I do. This isn't the first time in Scripture that we find the concept of honor being bestowed on different people and different relationships. In fact, it is interwoven through all of the Bible. Here's just a a glimpse, actually four different glimpses of the idea of honor as we find it in Scripture. Take a look. We're to honor God first. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Solomon writes that in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 9 through 10. Honor God first. Second, this one's very familiar to a lot of people, we are to honor our parents. In the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, we read, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. By the way, parents, don't ever forget the second part of that when you are teaching it to your children. You teach them, honor your father and mother, but if you want a good exclamation point, put the last part of it in there that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. There's an implication on the other side of it. If you forget to, well, we'll just leave that alone. Number three, this one's a little harder to swallow. We're to honor those in authority, particularly this first teaching because it's not always those that are in authority that we agree with. Listen to what the Bible says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? then do what is good and you'll receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. By the way, I'm just going to say this real quick and maybe it's because I have a son that's a police officer, but when it comes to law enforcement, that's a pretty simple way of teaching our children that we don't have to defund the police or we don't have to worry about those that are in positions of authority. Just do what's good and then you'll have no fear of over them. You'll no have no fear of them. There is biblical teaching that speaks directly to this issue. When we're trying to say that people should not be in positions of authority, God is saying they're there for the purpose of taking care of all of society. They're going to do their part, you do your part, and there will be a great relationship. It's as simple as that. Now moving on. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Now, that's one application of this whole thing. Let's go on with it. This is Romans chapter 13. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. That's the whole of that teaching as it deals with government. But in the church, there is an equal teaching about honor being bestowed upon those that deserve it, those in leadership, those in positions of authority. Paul writes it to Timothy. Here comes the next one. Let the elders who re- rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, there's this idea of honor as it is really gain and steam, but there's one more that I want you to see in Scripture. This one has to do with all of us. We're to honor those older than us. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged, and you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. Now, that's just four ideas of honor. We'll add the fifth when we come to Philippians chapter 2 and Paul saying, Honor such men as Timothy and Epaphroditus. Honor them because of my friendship with them. Do you know what honor really means? Have you ever studied it? To honor someone is to hold them very high, to show them the respect that is due. Biblically, though, we hold on to that first definition to hold them very high to honor them, to honor the relationship, to honor the value that they bring to your life and you to theirs. An honored friendship is one that you will protect at every turn. An honored friendship is one that you hold high. An honored friendship is one that you'll fight for, that you will battle for. And an honored friendship is one that you give honor to and you expect others to do the same. That's an honored relationship. Paul's saying, you honor these men. You honor them because of their ministry to me and their influence to you. You give them honor. So we carry that over into our own personal lives where we're able to see these other four relationships that we're supposed to honor and we get to add the fifth, honored friendships. What do they mean to you? How important are they to you? If you are equally yoked with other people, which means you are tied together in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you see your relationship with the Lord the same way, then there is an honor that rises out of that relationship because we are joined together in the gospel. We are joined together in the things of the Lord. Honor follows. Honor follows. Or at least it should. And that ought to be every one of our goals. To develop... Honored relationships. That's why we don't just skip over this passage because Paul's showing us something that we all need. Going all the way back to the beginning of time, it's not good for man to be alone. And then following all the way through the Bible, we see honored relationships to the point that Paul is saying, even from prison, these two men mean the world to me. Do you have honored relationships in your life? There's at least three that you should have. Those that have the appearance of Paul to Timothy where your soul was knit together with these folks. Where relationship just came easily. It wasn't a struggle, and it never is. That's an honored relationship. The second type of honored friendship is that one that we have with people that was forged in the fire of life. We've just gone through life together, and it may not have come really easily, but today we are able to see each other in an honored light, the Epaphroditus relationship, one that says, you are of great value to me, the Epaphroditus relationship. But of course, there's the one that matters the most, which is our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus There are some descriptors of that relationship that we find in honored relationships all through the Bible. There's the the idea of us relating to God as children to their parents. God calls us his children. 1 John chapter 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. The whole idea of us being able to relate to Him as Heavenly Father shows the relationship that He wants with each one of us individually. Then there's the honored relationship of marriage that is an illustrative relationship for God's desire with His church. The whole idea of marriage as it is laid out in Ephesians chapter 5 is illustrative of what God wants with His church. An honored relationship. One that we're able to look at it and say, it brings great value to me, and I'm intimately connected with those that I worship with, and we are together intimately connected with God through His Son Jesus Christ. Honored relationship. And then, of course, there's the honored relationship of salvation. God said, I want a relationship with you so desperately that I will do whatever is necessary. I will send my son to die for you on a cross that we might be together forever. And when Jesus came, the Bible says, behold, now the dwelling place of God is with man because the Lord is here and he is with us. Now, I know you could look at this little section in Philippians chapter 2 and say, Phil, all of that comes out of that? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Develop those relationships be equally yoked to others through the bond of Christ and it'll last forever. It'll last forever. So you develop first that relationship with Jesus and the others will fall in underneath it and they'll last forever. They're not terminal relationships. They last forever because of Jesus. Invest wisely. Paul did. He wrote about it. And God said, put it in my word so people can learn from it. So learn from it. Learn from it. And develop those relationships. Why don't you stand and pray with me? Father in heaven, it's never lost on me how when we choose to invest in a relationship with you, other things of great importance follow. In fact, everything of great importance follows. Including friendships and relationships. Paul knew it. Others in Scripture knew it. We're able to see it and even experience it. So, Lord, I pray that we'll learn from this passage and choose to invest wisely in yoked, equally yoked relationships. And then, Lord, I pray that we'll communicate the value that we find in those relationships to those that we share them with. Help us do that. Father, there's a a tendency in our society today to isolate, to withdraw from others. We make excuses that make that easy and that is tragic. So would you help us close that gap through you that we might experience the joy of honored, equally yoked, friendships but help us start with the one that matters the most and that's with you through your son thank you jesus for loving us that much it's in his name that we pray amen this morning as we offer our invitation we of course want to offer it to those that desire that relationship with the lord through his son. All you have to do is respond to the invitation. Just walk over here and whoever's at the door, you just tell them, hey, I want to talk about Jesus. I want him to be the Lord of my life. If you'd like to talk about baptism, my goodness, just walk over there and say, I want to talk about baptism. I'll just tell you this. We're going to show you a video in a few weeks. Monday afternoon, there were six of us that had an opportunity to be involved in one of the coolest baptisms I have ever been involved in, and every baptism is cool. It happened in a bathtub in the maternity ward at the Kalispell Hospital with a man that only has a few more days on this earth. But when this life is over, he'll be in the presence of the Lord. That's pretty cool. Baptism is an amazing moment. It's an amazing thing. If you've been putting it off, stop. Just stop. Just walk over there today and say, I I need to be baptized. We have clothes in the back. The water's warm at least I think it is if it's not it's hot outside you'll warm up fast (laughs) we can take care of all of it let that happen today if you want to talk to somebody about the church or you want to pray with somebody respond to this invitation make sure your needs get met there are honored relationships that are forged in the prayer room so go back and pray with somebody Make sure that whatever it is that you brought with you today, if it is too heavy to take out of this place, that you leave it here. Let somebody else carry it with you. Sing loud. Help us extend the invitation.